Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Welcome into the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Oh, look at that. We've got some fancy holiday font. Gray Robertson <laughs> alongside my just fantastically dressed and very festive partner, Tara Henry. Tara, hello, ho, ho. How are you? Uh, happy holidays. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, I don't ever, I don't. I think this is my first Santa hat that I actually have owned in my adult uh, life, and I got it especially uh, for this week. Well, that's wonderful. And I'll tell you what, like, you can wear that out. <laughs> I, I hope you know that. Like, there are events where you could pull that off. It's a very nice Santa hat. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, happy holidays to everybody. So if you are over on YouTube or Facebook, we can see your uh, comments in the chat and would love to have a chat with you. Um, we'll get into this this full podcast, but anything and everything about 2023 softball, head on over to YouTube so Gray and I can see your comments. Yes, the chat is open. Uh, we would love to hear from you. So please let us know on either Facebook or YouTube. We're going to be doing the best of 2023 here on this edition of the D1 Softball Podcast. And boy, oh boy, there were so many good stories. However, Tara, there's no such thing as the offseason. And we do have some news that we have to discuss, including some breaking news that came out this morning. And I'll go ahead and read our sources from Yahoo Sports and the reporting that they've done this morning. This is about Florida State potentially leaving the ACC. They've got a board of trustees meeting tomorrow morning on the books. I believe it's 10 a.m. Eastern time. And due to Florida law, we can actually watch it via Zoom, which will be interesting. But Yahoo reporting details around the specific legal step in which FSU leaders plan to take is unclear, but legal experts say that the school could seek what is called a declaratory judgment action in an effort to get a judge to rule that the school is not bound to its contract with the ACC. The legal step's aim is the grant of rights, a legal document between the ACC, its members, and TV partner ESPN, binding the parties to one another through the 2035-36 academic year. This week's potential legal move is not expected to serve as a notice of departure because, as you heard, there's a lot of legal stuff that has to happen to make that occur. Uh, so any departure from the ACC would be at least more than a year away. However, such a legal foray could set the stage for more ACC programs to follow suit, challenging the league and its grant of rights. Uh, obviously, Tara, this is created. I mean, Florida State has shown interest in the last year of leaving the ACC being left out of the college football playoff is a big reason why these conversations have picked up again. But from a softball standpoint, uh, this is just another program that is going to get jerked around a little bit uh, just because of what's happening in the college landscape. Yeah. So that was a lot of legal jargon, Gray. So uh, to, to make it easier for, for all of us, um, I, I think, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, FSU is a powerhouse in softball. Uh, just was coming off a huge, huge finish. Uh, uh, just short uh, at the Women's College World Series. Uh, happy holidays to you as well, Fang. Um, and yes, huge news, though. A and the cool part is, is if we want to watch it, we can watch it. Uh, and I think yeah. that's good. That could be quite fun. Um, there was other big news uh, as well. And uh, Dr. Tina Floyd with Oklahoma City Spark uh, have announced they're playing independent ball. We'll have an exclusive with uh, Dr. Tina Floyd this afternoon. Uh, and Gray, I know we've got some some news over on the West Coast as well. 
uh, in terms of Oregon State uh, and Washington State, right, going to the West Coast Conference. Yeah, and again, realignment is now is is part of the culture of college sports in this day and age. And what Florida State leaving the ACC could mean for other ACC programs, I think of North Carolina and Clemson in particular, those seem to be the most valuable commodities in the conference beyond Florida State. Uh, it just makes it an interesting story to watch, uh, and we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, going forward, I appear to maybe be having some audio issues, so I'm going to briefly step aside and let Tara <laughs> talk about Oregon State to the West Coast Conference, a West Coast Conference that now no longer has BYU, Tara, but they add the Beavers, and it's a fascinating little reset of structure for a team that was in the World Series just a few years ago. Yeah, and and that's Laura Berg up there uh, with Oregon State, uh, the head coach of the Beavers coming to the West Coast Conference. I'm going to be able to see them, obviously, playing uh, LMU, Loyola, Marymount. But huge conference realignments, implications. This is the last year of the PAC. Uh, so we will have a ton of PAC-12 coverage this year in the last uh, year of the PAC-12, uh, the Conference of Champions, which uh, for the softball world has been one of the most historic there he is uh, conferences uh yeah right gray let's 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 see if you're still scratchy here check one two <laughs> much much better there uh so we talked a little bit about west coast conference oregon state coming in uh to the west coast conference the the demise of the pack and uh, gray i was just saying that we're gonna do a big tour of the pack this year uh, to give to honor uh, one of the greatest conferences of all time in the sport of softball. Uh, that Arizona-UCLA series here in Los Angeles is going to be a fun one. Yeah, it will be. And, I mean, you talk to anybody around college softball, and the way you said it, the demise of the pack, is really one of the saddest stories uh, in, in college sports just because, especially with softball, that was, I mean, that was the league for so long. And, you know, in the last decade or so, it's shifted a little bit to the SEC and more towards the East Coast. But UCLA has been dominant uh, for so many years. Arizona and what Mike Candrea built there. Stanford's such a good story. And just as they're making their run to get back to the top of the Pac-12, now they're about to be off to the ACC. Uh, it, it is it is sad. And I've talked to a lot of coaches, uh, SEC coaches, who voice that as well. Like, if you're a softball fan, it, it just it impacts you. Because it, it was such a pillar of this sport that we love. And I thought Courtney Diefel put it perfectly. She talked about, yeah, she's in SEC country now, but she played at Cal. She grew up loving the pack. And to watch it essentially disintegrate is really, really upsetting and uh, devastating for those of us that love the sport. And you know what, Gray, I, I told myself that I'm just going to really enjoy 2024 and the last year of the pack, and I hope all of our fans will as well. I know in general we don't have as many West Coast fans, and I hope that um, people enjoy the Pac-12 in its last year uh, in 2024. Uh, obviously, we, we have love to all the other conferences as well, but uh, again, it, it's an end of an era, and I'm excited for the Pac-12 tournament uh, up in Palo Alto at Stanford this year it will be held uh, at stanford so we'll be heading up to cover that as well but enough about conference realignments and news unless we've got any more well we do have a little bit more because i want tara to give you a chance to talk about convention and what went down in louisville 
Uh, I was not able to go. I was watching the dog, so I was stuck in Tuscaloosa. But you were there in in the trenches with all the coaches and people from softball. What did you learn? Uh, it was great. 40th anniversary of the NFCA, and we've got I've got a piece up on the site. Uh, first and foremost, just trying to say Louisville uh, was <laughs> <laughs> probably the uh, the hardest thing of the week for me. And uh, 40 years, so celebrating 40 years in Louisville, uh, Lonnie Alameda uh, enters the Hall of Fame. It was incredible to see all the Florida State softball alum, uh, Team Canada, uh, UNLV, Stanford even. You know, Lonnie has just been such a pillar uh, of the in our sport. And that was her, her acceptance speech was just, she's so humble and so good at what she does. And you can tell why players love playing for her and why people love going to Florida State. Uh, and Carol Bruggeman uh, was uh, inducted to into the Hall of Fame as well, the uh, executive director of the NFCA, and again, a, a longtime coach, uh, as well as John Byrne from Moravian Softball and Kim Wilson from Rowan Softball. She held it down. Uh, sometimes those Hall of Fame dinners can get quite long, and uh, I loved her uh, acceptance speech uh, to close out um, the Hall of Fame uh, speech. But a little bit on the D1 caucus update uh they're looking at potential tournament expansion and really yeah so expanding team it's not in the works yet but they talked about it uh potential the uh, uh tournament expansion from 64 teams uh to 72 teams so where there would be a play in game uh and talked a little bit about recruiting and work-life balance uh, talked about the fall recruiting uh, schedule as well, but I've got all those details uh, up on the site, and they did do a little bit of KPI, which for those of you that are subscribers to the site and uh, were on our podcast last week, we talked about the Diamond uh, Sports Ranking, which our friends at 643 Charts have put together, so talked a little bit about using a different rating system uh, to seed teams, Gray, so lots of good stuff on the site. So head on over to d1sample.com. If you want to know more about the NFCA convention, uh, you can check it out over there. I'm sure you can tell by my facial expression that I don't love the idea of expanding the tournament. Uh, and this has been something discussed in basketball as well. I don't know why we want to make it easier to be one of uh, an elite, you know, I mean, make being one of the 64 should be special. And by expanding the field, we make it less special. We make it easier to make it. I don't even know structurally or schedule-wise how we could do a play-in tournament. Um, obviously, like you said, that's something that they have just like broached, a topic that they have just kind of starting uh, started to scratch the surface on. Uh, my initial reaction is, eh. Uh, the, the basketball tournament is discussed for years, expanding to 96, which I think is a horrible idea. But... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see. I'll do a little bit more reading on it. I, I think that, uh, as Fang said here, and, and I'll, uh, I'll flash the comment, KPI is definitely a right step. I, I do think that the more that we can expand the criteria for selecting NCAA tournament teams uh, will be nothing but beneficial. We've said that the RPI is a flawed metric for years, and so if we can add even more, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Gray. I think, it again, it's concept only, so like there's no timeline for this. But I like that they're looking at it, and what it's going to be, it's it gets eight eight more teams into the tournament uh, with a 
a play in game. And so it is again, concept only and the D one baseball committee uh, as well, uh, put it up uh, to for discussion. So again, concept only folks as a, a discussion point, but, um, I don't know more access to teams having a play in game. I hear what you're saying, Gray, but also I think, you know, if there's eight more deserving teams, which there tends to be as we do the bracket every year, um, I'm okay with it. Uh, at the end of the day, I think more people being able to play is pretty cool. Um, but uh, Gray, here we go. I, I, let's check your uh, audio again. Okay. Now thoughts. Is that better? Yeah, you're good. You're good to go. Mike is Okay. Back. I unplugged the mics and now we're just using the straight up laptop. I love when we have all this fancy technology that we find in our <laughs> mom's friends' garages that doesn't work. So we're just going to move that or keep it here for the illusion. Who's to say? Um, okay, great. Yes. Uh, we we have heard from the audience that the mic is good to go. Okay. Thank so you. that's good. Uh, we might as well use that as a transition into the cleanup hitter. Because, Tara, it's time to get to the main event. Ooh. The 2023 season comes to an end. Good night. All right, Tara, 2023 was one for the books in just about every way. Uh, we, we've got some tears, some things to discuss in our best of 2023. And we would ask for the commenters uh, who are tuning in to let us know their favorite parts about 2023 in softball as well. Uh, let's start, Tara, with the best of the D1 softball podcast. Uh, you Woo! went back and you watched everything, the whole shebang. What were your favorite moments from the two of us this year? Oh my goodness. There were so many great moments. And I must say, I, I, I did go back and watch every single episode uh, from the year and love obviously our fan interactions as well. So um, I'm seeing some comments uh, in the feed right now. We will get to you all. Uh, Jackie Reed, we see your comments. Um, so we'll get to yours hopefully here in a little bit, but Gosh, there were so many great things um, throughout the season, and I and our our very own Kelly Higby put that year in review together. Basically, those are all the photos from my phone, and I realized how many games I went to this past season and how many different cities. Um, but Gray, you and I, we covered a lot, um, and it all started off really, when you think about it, with Mike White and uh, the <laughs> the debacle in Kentucky. Remember that? All I do. That's where it all started off. That was the first of my notes. Um, and then Baylor beating OU. That was the beginning of the season um, for us. So um, we'll go through kind of our favorite moments. I love the winner, winner, chicken dinner um, from uh, Mississippi State when they swept uh, South Carolina. But we've got a list of, of moments when Caleb Bro came on with Dylan, uh, Monica Abbott throwing out the first pitch at the Mary Nutter before OU and UCLA. And gosh, what, that was a surprise, uh, that score, when OU absolutely 
uh, obliterated the Bruins. I, I can't, it's hard for me to say that, but that's exactly what happened. So do you remember um, when that happened like 10 months ago? <laughs> but those are some of my, a few of my favorite moments. I've got a, a few on here. Re, or, um, what, do, what are you thinking, Gray, uh, on uh, your favorite moments? So from the podcast specifically, I thought that the discussion that we had with Mega Ronowitz in our very first episode was really, really important and informative. And uh, with the approval of D1, that is a clip that I would like to spread as much as possible this upcoming year as we get ready for more TV schedules to be released. Uh, the explanation of what goes into scheduling, why certain games are scheduled where, what factors in uh, team-wise and ratings-wise, what needs to happen for more softball to be on TV. And I think some rule changes this year uh, might certainly help that, looking at the uh, visible pitch clock. But certainly that was, I think, one of the more important discussions that we had on this pod for the general public. And it came in the very first episode. I also very vividly remember talking to Skylar Wallace, discussing how much she hates to lose uh, telling the story of our interaction in College Station back in 2019. And uh, amazingly, Skylar has another year of eligibility this upcoming year. Uh, she is getting her doctorate, I assume, or something, or maybe going through year nine of law school. But Skylar back <laughs> with Florida. And uh, also, <laughs> Stacey Newman-Denise from San Diego State, when we interviewed her ahead of Supers, and she popped on, and after I asked her her first question, she looked around and said, is this real? Uh, I, I think that we saw a lot of programs have some of those is this real moments this year. And we'll maybe dive into that in just a moment. But to talk to, to Nuvi on this pod after such a historic weekend for her and for her program and for, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, softball out West was really, really interesting and something that will stick with me. Absolutely. And who would have thought we were going to see Utah and San Diego State uh, in a super regional? Uh, you know, again, that was a, a highlight. And I agree with you, Gray. Uh, in looking at our year in review, how about the long lines at the Mark Campbell Classic? I think that was in that year in review. I remember seeing people waiting to get into to watch uh, the Mark Campbell Classic, obviously, with with Oklahoma um, and then again, Utah's big run uh, to the Women's College World Series. There's so many storylines. But I think my favorite probably weekend, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is was the Reese Atwood walk-off weekend um, for Texas. And watching – oh, my gosh, look at Fang. He's right there with Wow, me. We, we are – that's <laughs> two in a row. Oh, I feel like he's just like in my brain. Um, but yes, those walk-offs and I, you know, we had her on the podcast, Gray and I, we were able to, you know, interview Reese Atwood and what a performance by the freshman and a young Texas team. And they're going to be one to watch this season heading into 2024, Gray. Yeah, I love, this is so great. <laughs> yes. Come on the show thing. Uh, I, I loved our interview with Reese Atwood and talking about what she said in uh, in the interview and or, or I should say during the home run when we were interviewing her. Uh, am I having bad mic issues again? How is this possible? The what? The last pot of the year and it's gone haywire. Oh my gosh, Tara, give a couple more fun things that you enjoyed while I hop off. Yeah. 
We got obviously Reese Atwood uh, was a favorite, and then the WPBF draft, uh, which you know that was a fun um, thing to be a part of, the first and maybe only season of the WPF. Uh, watching Cal sweep Oregon, uh, Chelsea Spencer, we had her on the podcast talking about Cal softball. Uh, again, Florida State sweeps Clemson uh, for the ACC uh, championship. Uh, another big moment uh, this year and video review. And oh, there he's back. Hey, Greg. Am I? We'll going? see. <laughs> How does it sound? We'll find out. But I know we've we've got a few questions here uh, in the chat. Oh, he's good to go. Let's let's hear from Jackie. Oh, dear. Uh, Jackie, give us your real thoughts on the Oklahoma transfers, what it means for the sport. Uh, this year and in the future. Um, Tara, you want to take this one first? Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, it's so funny. I think we're to the point where it's now part of the game. And going into the transfer portal is something that teams are going to do. Do I personally like it? No, but is it part of the game? And do I think people have to adjust? Yes. Uh, I think, you know, OU continues to perform and excel at the highest level year in and year out. Part of that is transfers, but you still got to win ball games. So I, I'd argue that when you got Patty Gasso, uh, JT Gasso, Jen Rocha um, on a on a pitching st- or on a coaching staff, that um, you got to give them some credit. Uh, so thoughts on the transfers? Uh, Kelly Maxwell, I think she's gonna. She's going to do well uh, and Arocha there uh, as and um, really, you know, give the OU pitching staff um, some firepower. Uh, but, Gray, what are your thoughts? Because I know you probably have a little bit of different thoughts on this. I mean, I, I think that the portal at this point is what it is in college sports. You're making the face like I'm scratchy again, Tara. Am I? No, you're good. No, you're good. Okay. All right. Great. Um The portal is what it is. Uh, We see it across all college sports. There was a Nebraska volleyball player the other day who went in the portal and went to Texas. Uh, Like there, why someone goes in the portal uh, is none of our business. I'll be honest about it. Uh, I wish though that there was some kind, and a lot of coaches have said this as well. There was some kind of way to truly govern how the portal operates because we have fully reached into the wild, wild west portion of the transfer portal because in a lot of ways, there are no rules. There are portal windows, but once you're in, you can kind of do whatever you want. And I ju- I wish that there was a way to better structure it. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out what that way would be. But, uh, you know, right now, if you're a portal player, your first call is probably to Oklahoma to see if they want you. And... Um, that that's just the way the way the sport is right now. Uh, and until everybody else ups their game, uh, Oklahoma will be the standard in, in college softball. And I think that we're probably getting closer to uh, that gap narrowing a bit. I think Oklahoma coming to the SEC, they're not going to only have one loss next year. They're just not. Playing in the SEC is harder than playing in the Big 12. Like, we have metrics to prove that. They will take some losses, but they might still be the best team in college softball next year and probably will be for the majority of the season. Uh, 
but I, I think that the way the portal is structured right now, uh, it, it benefits the teams that that are on top, like Oklahoma is. And listen, Gray, I think there are a couple things to look at. In, in the world of NIL, women are now being able to get paid in college. And with not a ton of viable professional options in our sport of softball, I mean, you could go over to Japan uh, and and play. Obviously, Athletes Unlimited has a shortened season here. The WPF, we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, but, you know, I, I know people get upset when people are transferring at this point in time. It's, it's the livelihood of someone's family uh, at this point. And so uh, I get it. I understand. Uh, I think. And when we look at Oklahoma, we look at those that are coming in, obviously, and Peyton Monticelli and Riley Ludman and Carly Keeney. Uh, but then you also look at Jordy Ball heading to Nebraska and what that's done for Nebraska. Yeah. And I think there's a positive effect there as well. So uh, should there be maybe some salary caps? Probably. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's part of the game and you got to adapt and 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 be a part of um, what's happening now in college softball and not what was happening back 20 years. So I'm okay with it. And, and to your point as well, I do think another trend that we saw portal wise this year was a lot of kids quote unquote, going back home. Uh, Jordy ball, obviously the bis- biggest example, but you saw a lot of people either going closer to home or going to the schools that they dreamed of going originally. I think of a Kayla Beaver who grew up an Alabama fan now coming to Alabama after four years at Central Arkansas. Uh, like we saw a lot more of that this year, more than at least I can remember. And so that'll be an interesting trend to watch going forward. If kids go in the portal, you know, where do they go? Do they try and go closer to home? Like a Kayla Pollard has decided to do by going to Oregon from Florida. Uh, Taryn Kern going to Stanford, great example as well. You've got some kids going back over to places where they're familiar. And whether that is a one-off, Who's to say? But it was certainly, in my eyes, Tara, pretty notable with the portal this year. Oh, absolutely, Gray. So I, I, there might be a shift in it, and maybe we're in the middle of that shift to, to where, um, you know, we see we see the Jordy Balls going back to Nebraska, and like you said, Taryn Kern going over to Stanford, which, by the way, is Stanford's first uh, transfer, and. Jessica Allister and Coach Kenny Gajewski actually spoke at the NFCA uh, convention. Uh, they were both on a panel together, and you couldn't have two more different kind of, I, in my opinion, coaching styles up on the panel. But it shows you that you can do things differently and still end up in Oklahoma City. And yeah. I think that's why it's so important for young recruits and young softball players to go to these schools and meet these coaches and meet these teams and these programs because there's a right fit for everybody. And it's not always what you think. So at the end of the day, I hope those parents that have kids that are going uh, to into college that they do their homework on various schools because I think that, um, you know, there are different um, different people all out there and different fits for everybody. Tara, I want to make sure that we we talk about some of the best of college softball in 2023 as well. Uh, we've discussed Oklahoma's dominance. I'm sure that maybe there's a thing or two more we want to say about that. Uh, and the Los Angeles Regional, to me, uh, really stuck out. I've got one more that some people might call me biased uh, for saying, and uh, I will try and fix the mic while I let you list a couple things from college softball, Tara, that stuck out from 2023. <laughs> oh, great. You can, you, you don't have to say you're going to be biased. I'm guessing that we're going to go with uh, Alabama here. But 
Uh, we could talk about Montana Fouts and Montana Fouts' career. And I know we spoke about this on our last podcast and the you know, passing of a torch per se between uh, Nyjah Kennedy and Montana Fouts was my favorite moment of the Women's College World Series. There were a ton of, of incredible moments there, but I got goosebumps watching that. And for Montana to really lead the tide back to the Women's College World Series uh, with some injury, uh, it was... It was a, you know, a storybook ending and obviously not getting it done at the end there, but to reach Oklahoma City is, was something that I I didn't think the tide would be there after, you know, dropping games to Wisconsin and, and it was at Texas State, Gray, right? Yes. Earlier in the season. And when Bama shows up five, arguably in softball and then football too, we're like, hey, what's Bama? What, what's going on with uh, Bama and the selection committee here? I, look, uh, finally, <laughs> I, look, people are going to be like, Alabama gets all the, like, actually, historically, committees have not been big fans of Alabama. So this year was an interesting writing of the ship. And I have already, uh, look, if you want to hear my soliloquy about Alabama's seating, the selection show reaction pod is a phenomenal resource because I, I, I will stand by my statement that by the, the criteria the committee used, I got it. I'm not necessarily sure that that's the right criteria, but another time. Anyway, Tara, keep going. Well, no, we were just talking about Alabama because you were talking about being biased. So I just figured we were going straight to Bama. Um, we can talk about Alabama's run. Uh, and, you know, we kind of got into it. I think the Women's College World Series, uh, gosh, it just – it really felt like it was OU's season to lose. And there is a huge gap between Oklahoma and the rest of the country. And I know everyone, you know, says to always talk about Oklahoma. How can you not, you not talk about uh, the best team in the country and what Patty Gasol has been able to do over the last three years? Absolute dominance and a dynasty. And for those of you who know, it's hard for me to say it as a former Bruin, but you got to respect what uh, the Sooners have been able to do over the past three years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, we got a comment earlier talking about it as well. Uh, Jordy Ball's performance in the Champ Series, knowing at that point that she was probably leaving OU as well to go to Nebraska. Uh, really, really gutsy stuff, uh, especially considering I was going back and looking. Florida State was pretty game in that Champ Series. They had a lead in game two. Mac Leonard pitched three shutout yes. innings in game and one. And run. Yeah, I, I like Florida State was not steamrolled in those two games. Uh, and I thought that Oklahoma being Oklahoma and showing the Sooner uh, magic, as they have often called it, uh, was really, really impressive. I wanted to also say a word about the, the passing of a torch that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I, I went back last night and listened to our Crimson Tide Sports Network post game after the Stanford game. That is always very very difficult for me to do after the final game to listen to post game and i usually only do it once and uh, that was something that that tom canterbury and i talked about we talked about how nyjah kennedy is in a lot of ways the future and i mentioned on that on that post game that there was a lot of montana fouts in nyjah kennedy the mentality obviously the talent and, and i would argue that that nyjah's rise ball as a freshman might be one of the most devastating pitches i've ever seen in my nine years, eight years covering the sport, uh, I, I think that she's got the she's got a great personality as well. She's a really, really good interview, which is, is a big part of it as well. If you're going to become the face of softball, and, and I think that Kennedy, uh, if she can continue to build on that, 
will pick up that mantle in a major way and she can lead Stanford to to places that they haven't been in a very long time. And, and on the flip side of it, the Montana Fouts story, I mean, there's there's a reason in that postgame show I was I was emotional and I was emotional last night listening to it uh, to, to know the story of Montana and what she came back from just in the last month of the year. As our friend Kevin Brown said, it was a season ending injury that she came back from two weeks later. People don't do that uh, unless you're a special, special kind of player with a special kind of mentality. And she was not going to let some scratchy dirt in the circle in Fayetteville uh, stop her from from finishing her career the right way. And what she meant to Alabama, what she meant to softball, it, it was it was I think a story that a lot of people can learn from the adversity that she personally overcame uh, to be able to pitch in the World Series was just really really cool. Uh, I saw earlier a comment about Ashley Rogers speaking of coming back from adversity, all the injuries that she dealt with through her career, and then to have her best season in her final year at Tennessee and to finally get them to the World Series was also I think a very similar example of rising past adversity. And I thought we got a lot of that in college softball in 2023, which is why we love the sport so much. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack there, uh, Gray. And uh, the thing I've kind of picked up the most is I I was able to watch Montana Fouts' perfect game um, this past season. And even after that game, she's out in uh, the outfield signing autographs for any single young player, any single young girl that looked up to her, uh, for almost an hour after the game. So I don't know that we're, you know, people know that not only is she an incredible player, she she's an incredible human being. But also, we talked about Nigel Kennedy. We haven't even brought up Alana Vodder mm. uh, and transferring to South Carolina. I know we we talk a lot about transfers, but Vodder is going to maybe hit for the Gamecocks, Gray. And I know that was part of the reason that uh, she, she went over there to South Carolina. But I think... Again, you got Donnie Goborn uh, a season ago, and now uh, Bev has picked up Alana Vodder, hard down ball uh, at going into the SEC. It's going to be a much different look um, for uh, the Gamecocks, but another huge storyline uh, of the year. Yeah, I agree. And we could even expand that to, to uh, so one second. <laughs> I you know, it's, it's it's fitting that Gray's uh, mic is scratchy for the last uh, podcast of the year, but we just are, we're trying to help you all out because we don't want you to have to hear scratchy. scratchy How about this? Mic. Are we back? Good. Okay. Back. La- Go last pot of the. I've literally never had an equipment problem in the entire year of D one softball podcast with Gray me. and Tara. Um, yeah, it is usually Tara. Usually I'm the one left alone on the screen explaining why I ranked Oklahoma State lower than Florida State, even though they won the head-to-head series. But uh, I digress. Now, I think I think big-time transfer pitchers, obviously, is a gigantic story. And uh, the, the elevation that they can bring to programs who've been on the fringes, uh, in particular, Vauder to South Carolina and Jordy Ball to Nebraska. Uh, you can talk all about the going home part of it, but Jordy Ball does instantly raise the bar and the ceiling for that Nebraska program this year. And as long as she's there uh, now, 
will she parlay that into a national championship? I would be very, very surprised if Nebraska won the title this year. But I think going to the World Series isn't out of the question. And you can make the same argument for South Carolina. Donnie Goborn showed Bev Smith what can happen if you find the right arm, even if it's just for a year. And now you add Botter, who I think uh, has has much more potential than even Donnie had, just because there's more versatility there. Uh the fact that she can hit is a nice bonus as well. But I think South Carolina is a program that's in as good a spot as any in the country to be a World Series dark horse. And it's almost, as I've, I've broken down the SEC uh, with Tom and in a variety of places, you're almost to the point where I would be surprised if South Carolina doesn't host a regional this year. I feel really, really strongly about that team this season Ooh. and what they can accomplish. Wow, Gray's putting it out there. Gray's, Gray's saying that the Gamecocks are going to host a regional. I'm not on that train yet, but you might be. You might have a crystal ball here, Gray. That that I don't. Um, I like it. I'm going to write that down. That that you're going for that. But yes, no. In terms of transfer pitchers, let's talk about Jordy Ball and not only obviously potentially allowing that team to to compete uh, with that arm in the circle, but building of a brand you look at Shohei Otani going from the Angels to the Dodgers uh and signing a multi-million dollar largest you know 700 million dollar deal in baseball that is a, somewhat of an equivalent of a Jordy Ball going from OU to Nebraska think about Nebraska softball and the brand of Nebraska softball and what Jordy Ball does uh for not only Nebraska but the Big Ten and the Big Ten uh, has a Jordy Ball, and then next year UCLA heads to the Big Ten, which, in itself, it's a potential Jordy Ball uh, UCLA uh, rematch, and, and I believe that's going to happen the Mary Nutter uh, in 2024 uh, as well. Well, and we know that the Nebraska fans love their women's sports. I'm not sure if we've talked about it on this pod, but what they did with volleyball and playing a game or a match, I should say, at Memorial Stadium, one of the coolest things you'll ever see in college sports. We know that the support is there. And so to further ring out that support with Jordy Ball coming to the softball program, uh, like like I said, the profile has been raised for Nebraska softball, and they've had a good last few years. But now they look like, especially considering what Northwestern lost, the favorites to win the Big Ten uh, this year. And then we'll see what they look like in the new Big Ten with Oregon and Washington and UCLA all coming over. But... I mean, like I said earlier, like what she instantly raises the status all the way around of that program and makes them a viable World Series contender. And that, I thought, was something that I really appreciated about her decision, going to a place and improving the program just by being there. Vodder doing the same thing. There were a couple pitchers uh, who could have done that and, and did not in the portal. And I thought that it was cool how Jordy Ball, uh, her, the decision that she felt led to make from the portal was something that shifted college softball in a creative way, a way that we really haven't seen in a while. Uh, I agree with you, Gray. And for those of you that are, are with us and joined us, if you've got any more moments that we forgot or you'd like us to, to talk about, go ahead and put them in the comments before we get to our Christmas lists, our softball Christmas lists, or I think we're getting close to that. I wrote all my stuff down. I've got my stuff down as well. I want to make sure that uh, before that we cover the best of D1 softball Ooh. 
2023. So I went and looked up a few stories that really uh, struck me last year from the very, very talented writers at d1softball.com. What a website. And a few that that really, really impressed me and stuck out to me. Uh, obviously, anything Graham Hayes writes is going to be remarkable. But I loved, first off, his final wrap-up on the career of Montana Fouts. I thought was really poignant and well-written. I also loved his article about the Florida State pitching philosophy and how they have mm-hmm. kind of paved the way for what pitching with a full staff looks like. I thought that was really, really fascinating and well-researched and, and something that could be indicative of what we see in softball going forward. Yeah, and there are some incredible uh, pieces, obviously, like you said, up on the site. Graham Hayes' uh, Yips article uh, with mm. Sydney Collazos, the Baylor catcher, I think that started a, a huge conversation. Uh, Re, Rhiannon Potkey, uh, her piece on Sydney McKinney uh, and the Paints of Portraits. I don't know if you all know, but head on over to the site. Sydney McKinney is an incredible artist uh, and was drafted by AU as that number one uh, draft pick. Another one by uh, Ohio State's Hackenback Overcomes Childhood Cancer. Uh, another a great and in- incredible feature. And then Brady Vernon uh, on Texas A&M, Matt- Madison Preston, and her return to softball uh, after having her first child. I think those are a couple of my favorites that are up on the site. Uh, those feature stories that are telling the real life stories uh, of softball players across the country. Uh, and those are just a few of my favorites. And we'll have those up on d1softball.com uh, for you all to read. Yeah, and a couple others I wanted to shout out as well from Ree. Uh, I thought her story about Kendall Daniel, uh, somebody that I learned about and learned from, quite frankly, at the MCCL this summer, uh, was really, really great. Kendall was in a near-fatal car accident, uh, and that stalled her athletic career but she was able to come back and pitching this summer and hitting this summer that was really her first action back since the accident and the way that re told that story uh it was it was fun to help her out a little bit with that but the way that re told that story i thought was beautifully written so shout out to re i also love the story about molly jacobson getting engaged because i too was there wrapping up the post game show on the crimson tide sports network and it's all about you gray all about you I, well it was <laughs> but it was funny so i so i love that story that re wrote and then this summer molly jacobson and i ended up being pickleball partners at a fourth of july event And we were laughing about it. And she was like, yeah, it was the best day of my life. I was like, it was not for me, but congratulations to you. And we, we had a great time reminiscing about that night, which was, which was so cool. I had asked her if Alabama had won, where would the engagement have occurred uh, that night? And uh, just the story of Molly and her fiance, uh, soon to be husband, I thought was really, really awesome. And I love that Re picked up on that and wrote that story. And then also shout out to Brady, because if you search Brady Vernon on D1 Softball, not only do you find great articles, you find like all the power rankings, bracketology, all this stuff with Brady in the byline. He's doing a lot of the compiling of certain things that are that are determined by the D1 softball staff and also as someone who semi does bracketology uh, all of that is not an easy job so shout out to Brady for all of his hard work in that regard and providing the information that a lot of fans really really look forward to each and every week yeah we've got an incredible staff over at d1softball.com Rhiannon Potkey, Graham Hayes, Brady Vernon and our own Kelly Higby who's on the back end here making us sound uh, great and look great and does all of the graphics throughout the year couldn't do it without all of you uh, and and all of you listeners and, and viewers so thank you so much for your support 
uh, of d1sample.com. All right. Is it time to get to our Christmas list, Tara? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for my Christmas list. Yes. All right. So you've heard of the grown up Christmas list. Well, this is, uh, this is the softball Christmas list. I'm literally turning Mike off and on as I talk. Uh, this is the uh, softball Christmas list. What we hope for. For the sport. Tara, uh, I've got four things written down. How many do you have? Oh, well, I didn't know that the list was what we hope for for a sport. I was talking like actual Christmas, like softball things. Oh, okay. That's that works too. That works too. You-, <laughs> you can go first. You can say your first one and then I'll ask what I want Santa uh, softball wise for Christmas. <laughs> okay. All right. Dear Santa, what I want softball wise for Christmas rational responses to everything you know if your team loses an opening weekend that does not mean everybody needs to get fired and the program has gone up in flames sometimes teams get better as the season goes on and I I, I see it from every fan base I see people overreact to results uh, the top thing on my Christmas list is rational responses let teams grow let teams get better let players improve uh, what someone did last year is not indicative of what they're going to be the rest of their career. And what somebody did in one game is not indicative for the rest of the season. So rational responses, everyone. It's an impossibility, but I'm asking for it. Uh, number two, actual clarity on obstruction. Now, from some of my sources at convention, in the demonstration about obstruction, it sounds like people left with more questions uh and i know that the ruling has clarified things a little bit uh but i hope that when we actually have obstruction moments in games that things will make more sense in real time uh that was i think the most controversial rule probably in the sport last year so clarity on obstruction uh would be wonderful number three bigger and better facilities let's keep building let's keep growing let's keep going I mean, I think that Clearwater is a great example. Let's raise the level there. Let's raise the level at every single facility we have because the interest in this sport is big enough to the point where you can add an extra thousand seats and people are going to show up. People are going to buy tickets. People are going to come out for college softball. Bigger and better facilities. The sport deserves it. The popularity is showing that the interest is there. Let's make it happen. And finally, good vibes in 2024. You know, it, it is. It was not long ago, Tara, where we were in a world where softball was taken from us. And, and I think that the last few years, people have kind of forgotten how lucky we are to get to watch this sport and cover this sport and experience day in and day out the majesty of college sports and in particular college softball. Uh, it was, like I said, not long ago when all of a sudden on March 12th, that was taken away because of a worldwide pandemic. And... Uh, The thing that I promised after that was I was not going to take another day covering Alabama and college softball and the SEC for granted ever again. And I think it's important that we remember uh, how special it is that we get to operate in this world. We as fans, we as media, we as players, we as coaches. So let's bring those good vibes back in 2024. Let's make sure that uh, not everything is the end of the world. Not everything is controversial. Sometimes things just happen. And at the end of the day, it's special that we even get to experience college softball at any level. So that's what I've got, Tara. 
Great. So those are all things that Gray wishes for 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 Christmas. I'm actually wishing for tangible things. Okay. Uh, because I didn't understand the assignment, but also <laughs> we'll give you ideas of what to get softball players, maybe. Um, so I would like a custom glove from the Glove Cowboy at Marucci. Uh, if you all have not seen his custom gloves, they're rad. Um, so I would love uh, a custom glove from Marucci. Uh, I also would like a, a pair of the Rip It cleats, which they um, are now uh, paired uh, with Ringer. And they've got some cool things happening, not only this year, but next year in their technology. Uh, and it's all based around girls and women. So I love that their products are uh, based around girls and women. 108's water bags. I think if you're a hitter, uh, having a 108 water bag and understanding uh, how to decelerate in your swing uh, is really, really important. So if you don't train with water bags, I think it's something that um, you should, should do, even if you're a young athlete. And I know a lot of the college programs around the country uh, use those water bags. I'd also think that Viore Sherpa um, cozy sweatshirt is very nice. I would like that for, for Christmas. Uh, and a pair of Adidas Sambas, the OG Sambas, uh, and Pitchcom. So uh, it's a Pitchcom uh, that is now available um, in softball and baseball, uh, an actual a device where it can call in pitches so pitches can either see it on their arm uh, and one-way communication from the dugout to the fielders uh, in the field of play. So even though ours were very different, I think it was actually, it worked. All encompassing is the way I would evaluate it. Yeah. And if we, you know, if we had the comms thing, I could, I could get the scratchy note on my wrist that you could send yeah. me. So that would be helpful. I could say you're scratchy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, it would just come up on your wrist. That's it. That's uh, yeah. Scratchy, screwball, right? You know, yeah. Curve so that's away. my Christmas list. Um, and I think all of the. The wishes that you have, great for softball. Uh, I echo those as well. And I kind of like when people are saucy, especially some certain fan bases. Uh, it makes for a good good Monday, good Tuesday when the rankings come out. So I'm okay if you want to stay, still be a little bit saucy. Just don't don't get personal. When you get personal, then um, then I have an issue with it. That's the thing, you know. If you wanna if you wanna overreact in a in an ironic way, sure. I do. I love the content. Uh, however. Uh, if you, you know, if you start going after players and, and saying this coach needs to be fired and wow, yeah, this person's an idiot, that's when I start to have a problem. But uh, again, you know, I'm just the eternal optimist hoping that everyone will be kind to one another. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the season, I think that year in review uh, really sums up kind of where where we went to, where we were. Um Started at the beginning of the season. It was really cold at Mary Nutter uh, last year. Uh, and all the long lines. And I think another thing we could wish for, Gray, is to sell out stadiums, right? And and sell out season tickets because we've seen how much women's sports uh, have grown just in the past five years. And softball is a huge part of that. So my wish would be that we could sell out those stadiums uh, every weekend. So that administrations are forced to give us more money and forced to to pay attention to softball. And that's where it starts, uh, putting butts in the seats. So if you are a fan of softball, 
head on out to softball games uh, and support your local program. Yeah, and speaking of hang, heading on out, we got a question here. Will you have the opportunity, oh. Tara, to visit OU's new field in 2024? That's a great question. Uh, I don't have it on my schedule, but obviously it seems like something I need to do. So I'll keep you all updated and let you know when I'm going to head out to Love's Field. Hopefully it'll be done. Uh, I saw progress pictures a couple weeks ago, and sounds like it's going to be finished and would love to to visit Norman. We'll hopefully be out there, obviously, for Oklahoma City uh, Women's College World Series and maybe staying out there for some Great Britain stuff uh, shortly after. So we'll keep you all updated. Yeah, and I've got Norman on my list uh, in a couple years when Alabama eventually goes uh, to Oklahoma for a conference series. Also, Tara, is this the year? Will you come to Rhodes Stadium this season? This is it, 2024. I promised you, Gray. I promised Emily Petek, and I promised Caleb Bro. Uh, I will be, I will be at Road Stadium this year. I'm not sure which weekend it'll be, but Tara Henry will watch a game at Rhodes in 2024. And we will produce content in some way, and it's going to be awesome because we yep. should. Yep. And let's make it happen. Yeah. All right, Tara, uh, before we before we head into some thank yous and some goodbyes, uh, real quick, what's up on D1? What's what's going on on the site right now? Obviously, fall reports kind of winding down a little bit as we get into the holiday season. But but what else is on the wonderful website that is D1Softball.com? So, like you said, great tons of fall reports. And the best thing about fall reports is you really get an pulse from the head coaches on what they're seeing from their squads Uh it in the fall and really prepping for for season so tons of fall reports up on the site and we've got some really great 25s in five so brady vernon is taking a look at 2025 commits we've got delaware commit madeline diamond up uh, on the site right now we had texas a&m's commit P piper white that's been really fun for us to do to get into the recruiting space so loads of fall reports uh and then What's going to happen a little bit later today on our, our live channels, we've got an exclusive interview with Tina Floyd and the OKC Spark owner. She will have an exclusive interview with D1 Softball. We'll have that up later today on the site. Uh, Kelly Higby is going to get that going and ready for you and should be up on the site at 3 p.m. Eastern. 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, will be up on the site, a quick interview with Dr. Tina Floyd and what the Spark are going to do heading forward into 2024. Yeah, so by the time we wrap up here, it'll be about two hours away. So you yeah. have some time to go get some lunch and then tune back in for another interview. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I the fall reports are always great. I highly recommend everybody check them out. As somebody who interviewed a lot of coaches in the last two months, uh, they were very helpful for me in in gauging some of the things to talk about and also some of the things not to talk about. You know, if a coach isn't super wordy about something in one arena, probably don't want to ask him about it in another. But uh, I, I think that all the work done by the phenomenal staff for D1 Softball uh, certainly should be commended. And we are grateful for all of them as we are grateful for you, the listener and viewer here on the D1 Softball podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Uh, 2023, a gigantic year for this pod. The numbers were fantastic. We had 
fan interaction uh, in ways that I did not expect. Some that I did, but certainly some that I did not. And it was so fun to chat with everybody from across the country. So Tara, I know you agree. Thank you to everybody who has supported this podcast and watched every single time that we've come on because uh, it, it is very much something that we're grateful for. Absolutely. And we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you all. So uh, I can, can't reiterate it enough. Thank you. Thank you for showing up every week. Thank you for helping us grow the game of softball for supporting women's sports. And most of all, just loving uh, the game. It's been so much fun. And Gray, my partner, love chatting with you every single week. Uh, 2023 was a good one. And gosh, it's been what, four or five years now. And uh, just having you join us on the podcast just elevates not only our coverage of women's uh, softball, but just makes us better. So thank you for, for everything. And Kelly Higby behind the scenes, we always try and get her to jump on the podcast because Kelly is actually a former softball player. So she, she knows, she knows all and uh, just can't thank her enough. Our producer behind the scenes, all of our wonderful graphics uh, are Kelly. They're, they're made by Kelly and uh, she sends them over to me and um, it's been really, really, really fun to, to develop all that with you, Kelly. So thanks so much. Uh, anything else, Greg? Well, I will, I will echo. Thank you to Kelly. Uh, I know that there have been times this year where she's been like, Gray, you fool. You don't know what you're talking about. But you know what? She rides along with us and she does make all these phenomenal graphics and videos. And uh, we are so eternally grateful to our queen, Kelly Higby, who, who makes this podcast roll. Uh, and, and Tara, like you said, uh, this partnership has been something that I am so grateful for. Uh, and I have greatly enjoyed working with you this year uh we are nearing four years since we first met at clearwater when i was talking to jen schroeder and she had this person named tara henry next to her <laughs> and uh that was right before the world shut down and since then this friendship and this partnership has been such a blessing and i think you know my final thought from this year you hit the nail on the head why are we here because we love softball and we want to help grow the game and because the sport deserves it and i think that at the end of the day, that is all we have been trying to do. Whether you agree with us or not, whether you think the rankings are correct or whether you think they're trash, whether you're <laughs> tuning in just to hear the interviews or to hear me pontificate about Montana Fouts, uh, we can all agree that the reason that we're here is to grow softball and to help improve this amazing sport because it is worthy of such attention. And to get to do that this year with you, Tara, has been an honor, and I thank you. Thank you, Gray. I wish I had some eggnog and we could play eggnog game every time Montana Fouts' name is mentioned. <laughs> oh, look at that. We're out of time. Oh, what a bummer. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. Happy holidays from the D1 softball crew. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Wishing you all healthy, happy, uh, and safe holidays and a happy new year. Yes, that's it from the D1 softball podcast. Thank you to Kelly Higby. That's Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. Have a great Christmas. Have a great holiday season. Have a great new year. We'll catch you next time.